hello, boils and ghouls. Welcome to this week's episode of Hallow Weekly. George and Not Nick here with Nightmare Alley, 1947. Um, why not Nick? Uh, co-host Nick is sick, um, possibly because he likes to do things that rhyme. <laughs> I guess I, I should be glad that his name's not like Seth or Buck or something. Um, but Nick, hope you feel better. We wanted to get this episode up on time for y'all because... Uh, there's a lot of discussion about Guillermo del Toro's remake of Nightmare Alley, if if it is a remake. And, and unfortunately, uh, you, you, everyone, you guys are missing out on Nick's Guillermo del Toro expertise because he's way more knowledgeable about that director than me. But I'm super passionate about this movie at hand, 1947, so I'll, I'll do my best for you. Um, but since there's a lot of buzz about that movie... Um, we don't want this movie to go past by uh, unspoken uh, of the original because it is one of the truly great films of all time. It's it's possibly my favorite uh, noir. I think of it as kind of a horror noir, just like I think of uh, High Plains Drifter as horror western, right? But this movie... Um, I mean, if you, this movie has a character named Ezra Grindle. If you have a character's name Zena Crumbine and Ezra Grindle, uh, you know, and one just called the Geek, uh, it's 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 got horrific elements for sure. Um, if you don't know about this uh, original film, uh, the 1947 film, it's uh, starring Tyrone Power as Stan Carlyle, uh, who's like an ambitious but morally bankrupt. A carny worker who picks up tricks for a sideshow mentalist named Zena, who has an alcoholic partner named Pete. Um, And after uh, there's like a moonshine accident and some possible jail time being threatened to the characters by the local sheriff, Stan kind of reveals who he is to everyone uh, by his actions. He, He gets forced like into a relationship or a marriage with uh, Molly somehow, um, but they kind of figure out the system that Zena and Pete have. So they get to up level now in crime and they become huge or bigger, more high profile uh, con artists. Uh, it's really unusual to center a film with such a wholesome actor as Tyrone Power with this. And, and this is where I, I'm really passionate about uh, Nightmare Alley, uh, because uh, Tyrone Power really took the biggest chance any actor of his stature had taken, possibly in the history of Hollywood up to that point. Um, so anytime you're the first at something, right, like you break, you're a trailblazer, you break new ground like Carp- John Carpenter did with Halloween and showing that that horror could be that big of hits or, you know, Blair Witch Project just blowing everything up. You know, this is this is a this movie was a huge gamble for Tyrone Power. It's basically like imagine Tom Hanks playing a darker version of the Jack Torrance character from The Shining, right? Like, but early on in his career, before we knew that Tom Hanks could do those things, because that's what Tyrone Power did here. He had been really, really successful in Hollywood with a film called The Razor's Edge. Um, they wanted, you know, you know, you know, pirate swashbuckling, epic, romantic adventures. They wanted him to basically just play 
uh, romantic leads and he had really pushed for this project and it failed miserably, like epically failed um, at the time. So it didn't make any money, which Daryl Zanuck, who was supposed to be, you know, guiding the, the movie to fruition, who kind of walked away from it because he figured it was doomed. Um, so it really did become a Tyrone Power project. He was the engine and the driving force behind a lot of why this movie exists. And um, it, it, it was, he was super proud of it, uh, but it failed. And then he stopped, you know, even thinking or talking about it really uh, publicly because it was, it was embarrassing. And now it's considered his greatest performance, of course, because you got to take huge gambles like that to uh, to succeed, right? So this movie really, really broke uh, ground. And one way that you can tell that it breaks ground um, is that there are multiple amazing parts for women, like major characters, which you know, is unusual to see three uh, starring, basically, roles uh, against one, maybe 1.5 for the men. So it was breaking ground there, but it was also breaking ground in the the anti-hero thing that we're super used to now. But they, they pull no punches with this. And part of it is because the source material, the novel it's based on is super dark, which uh, Nick and I had talked about because I, I'm also super passionate about the book. So we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> but... And it kind of blew Nick's, Nick's blew my it blew Nick's mind that uh, the business card of the author of this book, which I'll try to describe, even though this is an audio medium, it would be better visual. But um, it, so the anti heroes here, no punches pulled. Tyrone Power is playing this guy who is completely manipulative, um, completely amoral. For most of the movie, um, arguably at the end, he he might take a take a small turn, um, but he's also kind of going toe to toe with some, uh, especially Lilith, who's played incredibly by Helen Walker, um, who arguably you know out, well not arguably she's flat out outplays his character and ends up really the, the winner even though somewhat villainous as well, which I mean, right, they have every character named Lilith in the 40s must have been a villain. Um, so uh, she outplays him, you know, pr- pretty well and pretty um, without regard for right and wrong or morals or whatnot. So uh, I just don't consider her quite as villainous as him because her rationale for what she was doing made so much more sense than his. His was like completely self-motivated mayhem he was causing. Um, Whereas she um, kind of saw that this had come to her as a possibility, this criminal side of things or whatever. And she turned out to have a great talent for it. But I don't think she was seeking it out. He's been seeking it out the entire movie. But um, so, you know, there's these incredible characters where there's no punches pulled, but the 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 end of it, the end of this movie, um, I, I, kind of the fall of Stan is is really happens at the end, um, and it is so um, hard hitting and emotional and interesting and well filmed and strikingly like presented where. 
you're seeing visuals that you would you wouldn't forget if you're paying attention and you love movies. Um, especially if you love dark messages or or people who are just trying to present a like an unvarnished truth. Um, this this movie is for for you for sure. But it's it's incredible that my in my memory. This whole sequence would probably, if you'd made me guess in advance, I would have said it was about a 25-minute sequence, the fall of Stan. It, it's four. It's four damn minutes. Um, it's just, it loomed so large in my memory from the last time I had watched it, and it's so affecting. Um, it just felt like its own little world. It felt like it took way longer than... Uh, than the, 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 what at the time it ultimately turned out to be. But e- I'm telling you, even then, I, I had to, if I wasn't checking the timestamp because I went, because I realized, wow, this feels much shorter than whatever. Um, if I had, if I wasn't in an analytic mind, if I was just, if I had just rewatched it without the podcast in mind, it would happen again. I, I would, I wouldn't have paid any attention except for what was happening on the screen because it is hypnotic and, and super interesting. Um, but the, his, his fall, um, because Stan, uh, Tyrone Power is such a masterful con artist through much of this, but I think the real kind of beating heart of, of what the dark thing this movie is that lives inside this movie, uh, to me, what it's trying to get across is there's, there's a, what's tempting to think of is just a simple circle, right? You know, Stan is a great con artist. He's playing everyone else in his life. And then there's this amazing scene at the end where he's broke, he's on the run, he's in rags, basically. Um, He's gone from his tuxedo, you know, limo days to fallen back even worse to the carny uh, state that we had met him in. And he's just disheveled and a mess and obviously just completely addicted to alcohol at this point and poisoned by it. Um, And uh, he's kind of holding court, uh, Falstaff style, with a bunch of other drunks. And he's telling them the same uh, tale that he's been telling throughout the whole movie when he's manipulating people or, or, you know, playing them or playing a mind game on them, etc., and while he's kind of caught up in his own silver tongued, like he's starting to feel a little bit like himself again, even though he still looks terrible, the drunks steal his last remaining alcohol. So instead of him getting something from someone else during or, or after he tells his misdirecting con artist tale, um, this time he plays himself and he, or they, and they take advantage of it and, and he's the one who loses out. And that's how far he's fallen is that he can't con anymore. And, and you would think that would be it, right? That le- a lesser movie that would be, you know, they would, it would be the O. Henry Tales from the Crypt, you know, karma character gets what they deserve. But this movie has a lot darker um, things on its mind. So uh, at, the real shocking dark turn at the end that this movie takes, even though I, I, due to interference, I think it pulls its very last punch, but it's just, it reminds me of, uh, I think 1932, but freaks, Todd Browning's freaks. Like it feels very similar in its, in its impact, but, um, you know, he's, 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 we've got him in the circle where he's playing himself. 
Then he goes and gets a job as a carny again, but he's a wreck now, so he can't do any of the clever, deft things he can do before. So he ends up getting the job as a geek, which, you know, was foreshadowed at the beginning of the movie. And a geek is an awful uh, state where they're pretending to be some kind of freak that eats live animals, in this case, live chickens. And um, he, when when the carny says, oh, if, yeah, well, you know, on second thought, we have a job for you. Don't leave. Don't walk out the door. Here, come get a drink. You know, we, we do have a job. Now that I think about it, it's the geek. Do you know what a geek is? And what Tyrone Power does in that scene when he, when they ask him what a geek is and you see how deeply in his soul he realizes that he's known the entire time what a geek is, right? Um, and, that, and that it was headed for him like a meteor. But he takes the job as the geek, right? So the carny tells his story you know, oh, we don't have jobs. Oh, we're hard up. We have no positions. Oh, you know what? As a favor, I think there's a thing. I think there's a thing, right? The, you're getting, Tyrone Power is getting played like he's been playing everybody else, Connie Rills, the whole movie. Just like any employee who's like bright eyed and thinks the company is great and, you know, hears from outside the company it's great and they present themselves as great and you get in and working there is a shit show and it's like hellish, right? Like, you're getting played. So he's getting played by this carny, but he knows it. And it turns out, I think, that it's just more, it's better, it's more powerful to just be a person in authority or represent authority or or be on top randomly, whatever that power is. It's more powerful to do that than be a good con artist, right? Because... The good con artists, which is what Tyrone Power was at the beginning, and what the psychologist is, even though she's probably headed down a really dark path, and and you know Zena and the the people he's seen and experienced, but particularly himself, they've been getting over you know on people conning them in a polished tuxedo wearing style, or at least that's where it turns or whatever. But they all lose. Like, ultimately, they all lose, except for arguably the psychologist. But it's, they're all losing. They, 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 they won the battle, but they lost the war, right? But who won the war? This guy, who's not even a good con artist. Like, he's telling a story that Tyrone Power, in a drunk haze, you know, sleep-deprived deprived state, still figures out that he's being conned. So he's right through it. But he, he takes it anyway. Because it doesn't matter what kind of con artist you are. If you just are on top, right? It's just survival of the fittest. And I think that that's what the movie was really trying to get to. Which, you know, for its time, the audiences were absolutely not ready for what this was. Which is why it completely failed and and couldn't be spe- spoken of. And, you know, was even hard to find for a long time. This was, this, I mean, not a long time, but, well, maybe a long time, but like for... Uh, uh, quite a bit of time of its existence. This was a movie that you heard about but couldn't find on video, right? Pre-internet. It was it was pretty hard to track down for much longer than it deserved to be being the the masterpiece that it is. The the music, the visuals, like I don't want to I I get bored with podcast with cinematography and that word makes me want to like whatever just in a podcast contest but context but 
part of why you're listening to this on a horror podcast is what I'm talking about now. It's the visuals. There's never, this movie's unequaled in its presentation of nighttime carnival shots and the spooky backgrounds around carnival coming and comings and goings and 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 i'm i'm even including freaks like the, there is no movie that looked more beautiful and spookier in this setting that this in the carnival setting than this movie it is literally the apex of this uh visually right which is why i'm i'm really excited and a little nervous for for the the impending uh, remake so um, but it's really dark and shadowy and and just incredibly presented. So that that darkness is part of it. Now, let's just wrap up with getting to the, the source material, which is the book, right? Well, part of the reason this podcast didn't pick a very specific name like movies or whatever is we wanted to talk about anything that was dark that got our interest that. That, that people brought to us that we got excited about and that they were excited about. So um, we talk about books. We have a book club and our Facebook group, right? So that's important to us. And this book, if ever a book that wasn't shelved in horror was actually a horror, it is this, it is this novel. It is incredibly dark. But So there's a guy online that I found named uh, David uh, Mermestein who, this is how he described the novel. He describes it, Nightmare Alley is... A book as hard-hitting as any American novel written in the mid-20th century, in addition to sympathizing with misfits who inhabit the, its pages, the novel stares unblinkingly at premarital sex, alcoholism, adultery, exploitation of various kinds, theft, chicanery, and e- even then legal illegal abortion. That's to say nothing of its incredible language and the irresistible carny uh, patois that peppers its prose. So, I mean, this book was taking on a lot of subjects that were really ahead of its time or really unusual for its time. But that's not a surprise because its author was a super dark guy. And if if ever there was a horror business card that isn't uh, American Psycho, it must be this guy. You got you to Google at some point. Um, this guy, because his his novel, his his business card, the author of the novel, uh, William Gresham, his his business card on one side literally says uh, no address, no phone, no money. Uh, and then in the middle of it, it just says retired. And then the other side, like if you flip, flip it around, uh, I don't remember actually in American Psycho. I remember that they were admiring the cast and all that, but I don't remember if they actually flipped to the back. But the back of the card or front of the card, whatever. I No, this must be the back because the front's got more words on it. It says, um, the, the world rather be... Hold on, hold on. This picture is way too blurry for me. Hold on. This is... Because this is an... I found this is an old-timey... Uh, this was a really old-timey uh, article on this guy. Um, you would rather die than face truth. <laughs> Is what the back of this business card says. So again, front, no address, no fun, phone, no money, no business, in the center, retired. No name, just blank, right? And the back, you would rather die than face the truth. So uh, die than face truth. He didn't even put the because he's such a wordsmith. So uh, just an incredible, um, incredibly dark and honest uh, author who's willing to take on really uh, dark material. And the fact that, that, Tyrone Power 
was brave enough at the time to do this is, you know, the, the, one of the incredible and really like, you know, singular things about this movie that other movies uh, couldn't match. So this is Nightmare Alley 1947, incredibly recommended by Halloween Lee Podcast. Uh, literally, uh, I this movie has popped into my head at, uh, at times I had no idea it was going to ever since I watched it years and years and years and years and years ago. Just literally one of those movies that kind of travels with you through your life and through time if you, if you love movies like this. So super recommended. Uh, Nick had, had messaged me. We also want to um, continue to give some shout outs to the the people who are following us, who are contributing to let you know, helping us pick, we're going to be back to our how low can we go series next week, and a lot of people are helping us pick that. The group, the Facebook group, we put it to a vote. A lot of interesting choices, which we'll go over in the episode. But the ultimate winner is Night of the Living Dead, nineteen ninety, Tom Savini's uh, uh, take on Night of the Living Dead, and I, I'm so excited to get to that, and excited to have Nick back to do it. Um, but also, we had wanted to kind of, uh, oh, you know, kind of designate the comments of the week that were on the uh, on the page or in the group or et cetera. And I just want to go over a couple of them really quick. There was a discussion that broke out first on Twitter, and then we uh, amplified them on our page. And it was um, name four horror movie characters that you wished survived. Right. So. And there's a lot of people who were, you know, mentioning a lot of good stuff, but it, it was, and some of them were obviously funny and some of them were more serious, but there were some really thoughtful comments uh, under this post, which we really appreciate. That's really why we do it. So um, uh, Eric had said, um, Nancy Thompson's death in Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, made me cry my eyes out when I was a kid saddest horror character death ever, which I remember that that was a really, first of all, it took me by surprise at the time, whatever. So that was, and then just incredible actress. So just an incredible thing. Um, Bernadette from Candyman got a lot of love. That was a, that was a, a, you know, a really good call out. There are a lot of people who are just naming basically every character that died in some movies like Lost Boys. That That was, that was pretty, uh, interesting, but I we, I love that there were people who came on there and were just authentic with it um, and gave real answers and and kind of why they were and it makes you realize how like those simple that's like such it was such a simple moment in time right I would have never expected uh, to go into something like you know Elm Street three especially with Freddy getting funnier and funnier with every franchise to have like an emotional impact from a movie. So that's, that was really cool. And then we, we, I got to finish with, with the Jordy Verrill from Creepshow got a lot of love too. Although if he doesn't die, that's that kind of entire point gets pulled away, but you could totally see why, especially when they're all posting pictures of this poor character's face. It's unbelievable. So, um, all right. Thanks for uh, putting up with this solo episode. We just wanted to make sure that Nightmare Alley got a shout out before the before the remake version gets more and more kind of eclipses what was old because it's amazing stuff. And uh, Nick will be back next week, and and we'll see you then. Watch more horror movies. Stay scary.